Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Iowa Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. going sprolier and molier to get holier. Oh, see, okay, the first time you did it, I don't even think I got it. I get it now. Sprolier, sorry. Okay, so for those who are watching, uh... <laughs> Uh, you know, four days later when we're actually putting this episode out, uh, we, uh, once again, IO and cap, AKA, what does this button do? Uh, screwed up the stream and we had to restart it. <laughs> uh, sprawl ear and molier. Well done. I love it. My old goal was to get you to laugh at my ideas. My new goal is to make them so uh, so obscure that you don't understand them. Yeah. <laughs> the new goal is for me halfway through the episode to be like, wait, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dream. <laughs> That's a dream. Uh, so before we get started, I once again want to remind everyone, curse of the Rat King, I decided that I'm going to, instead of writing one long, review of the book i'm going to week by week uh gradually review the uh <laughs> review the book patrick said jeff jeff the dennis miller of christianity park <laughs> well done uh hey oh, the mic. but yeah could you send me a link to their live chat that you've got oh yes See, this is how great I am. I did such a good job, guys. This week, I've been, I'm just crushing it. I really am. How long did you sit and think you were waiting on me without sending me the signal? Oh, line, my gosh. <laughs> Seriously, I was sitting for like an hour being like, why isn't Jeff coming in yet? And then he sends me a message being like, hey, no rush, but I'm ready when you are. I'm like, what? And then I realized I didn't send him in a link at all. I'm the big idiot that I am. Uh, so i'm gonna read chapter by chapter i'm gonna read every word of this book on stream just kidding uh (laughs) so i'll just describe how i react so instead of a long like i said instead of a long review i'm gonna do a chapter by chapter short reviews then maybe eventually i'll pull all the clips together and give a full review video so Chapter one opens with kind of a bizarre scene. I got to be real. I like, I didn't know what was going on a little bit. It's kind of a, like it starts in an orphanage, man. It's a lot of stuff that'll make you really mad. It starts with this, this quote, uh, which I don't know who Othar or the first wizard of the order is, but I'm, uh, I'm in, I'm invested. I'm waiting to find out what that means. Uh, but he quotes this person There will always be weak people. There will always be powerful people. There will always be tyrants until someone stands up and says no. And the first chapter is really kind of about that, about uh, how Fritz, the main character, uh, is is part of this orphanage and is getting uh, beat by the people in charge. And then he, uh, he basically the story of him deciding to stand up. And there's this, this really fascinating, uh, he's got, he and his brother's, uh, relationship I think is is uh is pretty cool and uh and so like it's it's a uh, I'm just one chapter in and I'm already just kind of like wait what comes next in fact I was about to read the second chapter and then I came up with this idea and said no I'll wait and get more content so this is what I'm doing uh <laughs> so one chapter in 
and I recommend it already. The Curse of the Rat King by Paul Thompson, a.k.a. the Hairy Chested Libertarian. And, and and no, Jeff did not fall asleep. Uh, he's just uh, thinking of his next joke. I, uh, and I'm catching up on the chat. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> All right. Apparently, the chat the chat started at nine thirty. Um, yeah. <laughs> my time. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few things that we talked about that I don't want to talk about because I think it'll make it'll make me mad. Um. So <laughs> yeah. No. Fair enough. <laughs> so anyway, uh, on to the real point of our episode. Uh. I, I am at my most sleepy show, by the way, because there is a Canadian federal show as we record. Um, so I, and uh, uh, and I uh, I have been I've been to far 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 too many doors and uh, um, and uh, been uh, much too much too. Uh, involved in direct political acting for any self-respecting anarchist. Um, yeah. And, and so, um, so I, uh, if I do fall asleep during a stream, uh, then, 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 uh, when, when, uh, when Kamala and my other handlers wheel me off, you'll, you'll understand. Um, <laughs> that's all right. He's, he's really just a figurehead of the show anyway. Uh, so uh Uh, it's 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 uh it's really uh harry chested libertarian and uh uh and benjamin who are pulling the strings around that's right that's Uh, really the real power behind the 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 show uh so uh we are into so we're, we're doing another bonus episode and we're following up on our first our first episode which we foolishly thought was going to cover way more than it did, uh, where we're talking about the evangelical downgrade, and we're taking part two of that. Um, be uh, Although, re-listening to that episode, I think I said what I wanted to say about what I saw as the downgrade. Um, and really, we're getting more into the causes of the downgrade. And I think really that's more, more of what I'm interested in. So we talked about the downgrade. The downgrade is essentially the fact that... Um, like in Spurgeon's day, which he's he and his friend were the ones who coined that phrase, the downgrade, and it was t- referring to the Baptist downgrade, where they were leaving uh, behind uh, Calvinistic theology, Puritan piety, and um, there's a third thing, and I'm blanking on it. But if you go listen to the episode, you'll 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 know what it is. Uh, <laughs> but but really, those um, that's a, a good kind of summary of 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 this idea uh, really this this issue and for the modern day i i kind of said there's 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 a lot of the same stuff going on that christian that evangelicalism is pushing away from doctrine and biblical uh, authority in fact and have been pushing away from biblical authority in practice and and uh you know we talked about how we we went through uh, how uh, biblical authority is rejected in practice before it's rejected in fact. And that is definitely what we see uh, in the evangelical world. And we ended up laying a lot of the blame, just like Spurgeon did, on the ministers and how pastors, by getting into the professionalism game and the CEO game, and even while they reject it, kind of still playing the professional professional game, 
and also, but but also just by pushing away from controversy. And and for this week, uh, I was a little, I was almost like, oh no, I I think I labeled the first one part one when I don't know if there needs to be a part two. Until I kind of started thinking about, well, what is evangelicalism? And I and I started going. There was uh there was I I was listening to Restless podcasts again uh the uh the quote the postmortem on the young restless and reformation uh, young restless and reform movement and they were they had brought up these four pillars of evangelicalism and I started thinking about those and I think I think in a, in a sense there's a rot at the heart of the whole of modern evangelicalism um, in, in these four, uh, I guess, you know, it, I, I started using the phrase pillars in the tent. So evangelicalism by, by its very nature attempts to be big tent. And so there's these four pillars that kind of hold the tent together. And I wonder if the, first of all, if the big tent is possible and second of all, if the pillars are really sufficient to hold up a positive Christian movement or, or a movement, a, a Christian movement that is able to stand up and stand the test of time and not eventually be co-opted into something else as we're seeing it do now. Hello, it's me, Randy, again. At this point, the guys answered an email from our friend Patrick of Cave to the Cross Apologetics. And they went on, and on, and on, and on, and on, as is their tendency. So instead of having a three-hour episode or cutting it off in the middle, they excerpted it out as its own episode. Look for it in episode 30.5. But now let's get back into the evangelical downgrade. There, I added in an explanation. Can I get paid finally? So, let's let's do this evangelical downgrade. So... So I want to um, kind of set up what we're about to do, um, what we're about to talk about. So uh, at, kind of in our pre-show uh, talk conversation that went a little bit long, um, we, be, you know, because when do we not? <laughs> even, even our off the, the record conversations go long, but we... Yeah, our conversation and that went long is redundant, but anyway. I'll yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I kind of brought up how after re-listening to the first episode um, in preparation for doing this episode, which is episode 25.5, the evangelical downgrade part one, I started listening to it and I started thinking, you know, I kind of said everything I wanted to say about the downgrade itself. And I was a little worried about that. Maybe I, I, you know, I called for a a part two, but there was going to like, well, I already committed to having a part two, but I didn't know what to talk about, but I think there's, a value, and this is partly spurred on by the. Uh, I, I might have already said this. It's been so long ago that maybe I can't remember what I said on on the air and what I didn't, what I said before. But uh, I've been listening to the Restless podcast, uh, which is Restless, a postmortem for the uh, Young Restless and Reform movement. Um, and they brought up this concept. No, I don't think I did. I did bring this up in the air. Um, they brought up this concept because their, their whole thing is kind of seeing what went wrong with the new Calvinism movement. What, what happened that it wasn't a sustainable long-term movement because a lot of the organizations that were, that birthed or, or were birthed of 
this new Calvinist movement, especially what they would call second wave new Calvinism, which is the, the Piper Driscoll, all that stuff wave is um, while they may still be running. It's clear that the new Calvinist phenomenon is dead. It's, it's pretty dead. Some of the people who believe those things still, still are around, but it's, it's fragmented for one thing. It's fragmenting into a hundred different directions. And the truth is what attempted to hold it together did not hold it together. And in this conversation, they had interviewed a sociologist who had brought up this concept of the four pillars of evangelicalism. And so I've been thinking about this and I, I've been thinking about these four pillars and I wonder if the rot of, of evangelicalism, the downgrade that, that happened in the downgrade was at the heart of it is at the heart of modern evangelicalism. And so we're going to look at those four pillars and some, and for once, for instance, we're going to look at the national uh, Alliance of evangelicals and what they have on a few of their main important documents. And then we're going to compare it with what I think is a much more sustainable evangelicalism. I kind of have been describing it as like the four tent pegs of what is considered the big tent of evangelicalism. And that's really what they try to be. Uh, evangelicalism, everywhere evangelicalism is found as a self-conscious expression. There is an attempt for it to be uh, big tented. And there's positives and negatives to that. So I'm, I guess I'm going to, I want to look at these four and these, and really what we're looking at is these, and this is uh historian. David Bevington is, is kind of um, credited with coming up with these four and they are conversionism, activism, biblicism, crucicentrism. Yeah. 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 As Patrick says in the chat, uh, it's also called mere Christianity, which is a, um, a travesty that it's been associated with that great book. But there is a sense in which they, they are taking their ideas from that book. Um, just not in the way that S Lewis wanted them to. Pat Patrick also blames my spotty internet on Trudeau, yeah. which, which actually is more true than he might know because well, of the CRTC, but I won't explain any further. Um. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, um, let's start with conversionism. Um, it says here that this is the belief that lives need to be transformed through a born again experience and a lifelong process of following Jesus. Now, um, in reality, the emphasis is on the first part of that. Evangelicalism heavily emphasizes this idea of conversion. In, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the National Association of Evangelicals which is what this article is coming from is adding that second half of the statement. Um, because really evangelicalism, a big thing is a heavy emphasis on get the sinner converted. Let me affirm what is good in that. Sure. Sinners apart from the gospel will go to hell. Uh, if you want to know more on why, Go to our episode, What Sends Us to Hell. Uh, I don't remember what number it is, but it's go watch it. Um, but 24.5? No. 24.5? Okay. All right. Sounds good. I, Sounds good. I'm probably wrong. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Actually, I'm thinking 21.5 now that I think about it. 21.5. Yeah. Yes. I think you're right. Yeah. You, you got the you got the roll. You got the, the mouse's wheels turning. Anyway, um, the 
but but that is really like what it comes down to like and really anyone who's been part of evangelical culture knows exactly what i'm talking about it is this emphasis on which is which is why i again i think the second half of this they probably added because it is it's a real a heavy emphasis on get the sinner to conversion and and get the sinner to the gospel and again that's a good thing getting the gospel to sinners is important this is paul's life work of getting the cross, getting the the cross and resurrection of Jesus out to the sinners, so that they would hear, believe, and repent, and uh, enter the kingdom of God. The issue is that, despite the fact that the NAE adds that second half to the phrase, this part is actually missing. A lifelong yeah. process of, of following Jesus. The emphasis on that, or really, let's just let's say, the explanation of what that looks like is lacking. Either it ends up being moralism 2.0, you know, or or republicanism. Like if you're on the right, it's it's kind of moralism. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with those who do. Fundamentalist, and and I'm I'm I'm, I'm rejecting that moralism thing. I'm going to call it straight up fundy. Let's call it fundy, uh, by which I don't mean the original fundamentalist. I mean modern fundamental. The idea of avoid right. of abstinence from certain from alcohol smoking and all that stuff and, and sort of a legalistic uh, approach to that or voting the right way. Voting the right way has been an important part of it. And of course, we're, we'll come back to that in a second. But but these lifelong process of following Jesus is not explained in terms of biblical things. And in fact, in many ways, this pillar of conversion conversionism um, has been the justification for avoiding a lot of conversations. I have heard from a person who apparently used to be a pastor. I don't really go in much for doctrine because that just gets in the way of getting sinners to the gospel. Mm. Like that's what he said. I don't go in much for doctrine because it gets in the way of getting the, of getting sinners to Christ. And then it's, it's kind of like, what's, well, what's interesting is like he's saying, I don't really believe in theology. And I'm like, well, how do you know that sinners need to get to Christ? And if he tries to explain that, that's theology. Uh, but but it, but it truly is like if you ask a lot of evangelicals why they have not talked much, why they haven't thought much about doctrine A, B, C, D or E. They would say something to the extent of, well, I'm trying to stick with a simple gospel because it's all about it's all about getting the 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 convert to the altar getting them to the altar you know and and also on the flip side it's also justified a lot of abusive tactics because when the point is getting people converted you can justify whatever means it takes to get them there and and we've seen this, and you know, evangelicalism is uh, modern evangelicalism. The, the 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 happy, clappy, smiley, would never offend a fly version of it is trying to distance themselves from that. Uh, but really, could argue that that's just another, uh, just another technique to get people to the conversion. Like, what are they? How do they justify that? This this sort of don't start a single fight, never say anything mean. Well, it's because I want to get the sinner to the altar. Right. It's the same exact thing. Well, and the mo sometimes the most galling part of this is when, when they they say because we have a great commission mandate on that, 
The Great Commission, as I recall, uh, says something like, go, and there's a big emphasis on that word, go, um, and make uh, converts of uh, the nations that are eligible to immigrate to the United States and vote Republican. Um, uh, and teaching them to... There it is. There and it lo, is. I am with you. Yes. <laughs> I'm, li- <laughs> yeah. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's <laughs> that's uh that's that's basically how the great commission gets preached exactly in these teaching <laughs> them to observe all that i've commanded you observe and a, a lot of observes like people it's it's literally to guard you guard the deposit of faith the things that i have taught you jesus said you pass on to someone else and i'm sorry uh contrary to many people who want to make that just about well it's really just about obedience and and following his teaching and following his model. No, he spoke words to them that they were to memorize, write down and pass on to later generations. I'm sorry. That's what rabbis and their disciples did. You were expected to memorize your rabbi's teaching and then pass it on to someone else. So there was knowledge to be passed. And, and you're right. It's this deficient view of the Great Commission. But but really, it's just, it, I think it really does, like this pillar really does amount for a lot of the problems with evangelicalism. Because even Calvinists, who should know better than to think that just because I'm not kind enough, this person's going to go to hell and it's my fault. You should know better. And also you should know better than to say, to say that confrontation will never be used by Christ to bring a sinner to conversion or to say that I must sacrifice other aspects of my calling as a Christian and particularly as a church leader in order to be nice in hopes that sinners convert. And so my call to call out false teachers and to rebuke the wolves who are coming after and to warn the sheep about the wolves they, you don't do that because it looks too mean and it's going to prevent people from coming to Christ. That is that is one dimensional nonsense. And this is part of the problem that I think we even the Calvinist evangelicals, they, they fall. That's the reason they fell for this curse of niceness that, by the way, R.C. Sproul never had a problem with. Uh, <laughs> oh, God bless old man Sproul with it went in, in toward the ends of his life where he gets up in front of that conference and he has the guts. He just, he looks at all these people who are paid to come see him speak. And he says to them, what is wrong with you people? Oh, can you think about the gutsiness of that? He just assured that many of them weren't going to be coming to next year's conference and weren't going to pay. Right. And I'm sure that's a big part of Ligonier's budget is money. They got from the conferences oh, yeah. and he was willing to, to run them out because he had a calling from God to rebuke their foolishness. And, and do you remember what, because it was, it was one of these questions that, that's, that, uh, like, <laughs> uh, it was something like Adam. Yeah. Uh, the question, um, I know, I know the question exactly. Uh, the question was if God is loving and then RC actually, that's it's so funny. RC puts his hand on, uh, I, I forget who it was that was reading the question. But he puts his hand on his arm, and then uh, he doesn't say it into the mic. But then the guy puts down the microphone. And he goes, 
since God is loving. <laughs> and it's like RC even c- corrected him on that word. Not if, <laughs> since God is loving. Why does he respond so harshly to Adam? Oh, so harshly. Yeah. To Adam just eating of the truth. And he's like, are you? And he's, oh, and he talks talks about like the effects of original sin down across well, the generations. Wasn't well, that bar- a well, very harsh reaction? Well, no, he just he yeah, he yeah. actually lists all of the graces found in the in the second chapter of Genesis alone. Like, so you're saying that the God who said on the day that you eat the garden, oh, right. I'm, I'm just you will die. I'm saying the questioner. The questioner though was basing it on, uh, in part on on. Adam's yeah. progeny as well. Well, as well the, the whole yeah, idea yeah. that that God punished him for just one little sin, and he said, "So you mean right. the 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 fruit of the tree that he said on this day of it, on this day you eat of it, you will die." And they ate of the tree, and they took another breath, and another breath, and another breath, <laughs> and he and he clothed them with with uh with with garments of of uh wool, of uh, of skins. Uh, and he promised them a savior who would come and you want to say he was being too harsh. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> and it's such a, such an amazing moment. But, but I, I think really, I think we're going to come back to what's what conversion. I, I, I want to move on from conversionism and not give what I think it should be, because I think we're going to see one pillar in particular that I think when you, when you expand that pillar, you're going to see what's wrong with all the other three. Um, but the second pillar, and this is really the poison fruit at the heart of evangelicalism. It's the pillar of activism. It says the expression and demonstration of the gospel in missionary and social reform efforts. Now, <laughs> the missionary gospel and missionary efforts is important. Social reform is expected. We wouldn't have a political theology podcast if we didn't think there were some social reform elements that had to come with the gospel. But making this one of the main pillars? Like that's that's like it, but but I think we I think we have to admit with David Bevington this is the the old evangelicals following the lead of the moral majority and the Christian right made Christianity, the, the point of Christianity is first get converted, second vote Republican. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, third, get other people to vote Republican. Fourth, maybe if you're if you're not too busy, get them converted too. But like, <laughs> there there is a sense in which this was absolutely right. And this is where even as evangelicalism uh, even as evangelicalism of the left reacts to evangelicalism of the right, it shows itself to be exactly the same. This is why the moral majority Christian right and the SJW wokeism is exactly the same. I said it. I'm standing by it. It is exactly the same because it is this idea that the most important expression of our Christian faith is in activism in, in, in fighting systemic racism or systemic inequality or systemic this systemic that and trying to to and this is why it's also the exact same thing as the oh i'm going for it the temperance movement of the fundamentalists you are exactly the same sjw's because you are saying that the most important expression of your faith is getting other people to change their behaviors 
challenging social ills is the most important thing. Now, is it important? Yes. Yes, it is. But I think as an outcome, not as an aim, it's maybe closer to the bat, closer to it. And I think I may be overstated that. Let's, I think it is not, but it should not be a main pillar. It needs to be something that's an outcome. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, no. It's an outcome in the sense that we work at it as an outcome of other things. But putting it, giving it primacy of place, it it, it just ends up, it just ends up being different expressions of the exact same thing. And so, uh, and, and yeah, as, as Patrick said, you know, in using state violence to accomplish it, just like Jesus did, you know, so, you know sarcastically. Yeah, that, that's... It, it it's it's a frustrating thing it's a it's a frustrating thing but because this is what ends up even as people will complain about how christianity okay evangelicals are constantly complaining about so and so is getting too political but what they really mean is they're getting too political in the way that i don't like because we will swing back on the other side and be just as political i get frustrated uh when someone else preaches about the value of, uh, you know, how this godless nation needs to get back to, uh, to, to Christ and Trump 2024. But when I hit the pulpit, I'm going on. I didn't on. know Christ and Trump were on a ticket together, but yeah. <laughs> I'm going on. So I get <laughs> mad when someone else preaches that, but I myself get into the pulpit and I am just as much queued up to the leftist concerns. I'm following the script handed to me by the media to a T. The media says this is racial discrimination. I'm going to pray about racial discrimination. And then the other side will say, I'm going to complain about you following the corporate media and, and, and buying all that garbage. But you know what? If Trump were to get elected, we would get back to a Christian nation. Like both of these, even if they're on opposite sides of the ticket are the exact same thing. And they and they're flawed in exactly the same way. We are still letting the world set our agenda because we have this sense that we need to do something and we don't know what we're supposed to do because we haven't searched for it in scriptures because searching for it in scriptures <laughs> might complicate the way we do conversion. It's, it's this cycle. Well, and yeah. So <laughs> one of the most frustrating things to me was that is how often you'd have you'd see someone saying that the church has to stop fighting the culture war and uh so that we can reach people for jesus and what they mean is that um the church that that they want organs of the church to fight the culture war on the wrong side so that so that people will not be confronted with their sin, but but be willing to assent to a sort of moralistic therapeutic theism. Yeah. So uh, I I I put that I, I just I jumped that in there just to say that both sides do it and both sides are wrong when they do it. Yeah. But they it, it is true that they are not equivalent. And I think I think oftentimes when so I want to I want to be clear to that oftentimes uh, when people stand up and say both sides are doing this, we're insufficiently clear that 
that these are not equivalent wrongs. There are a lot sure. of people who who got really excited about Trump because they're really obsessed with abortion and because yeah. he became surprisingly good on yeah. abortion, despite yeah. <laughs> no indication that he yeah. was going to be. Um, yeah. But that he became surprisingly good on abortion. Yeah. And that is the number one thing that they even pay attention to politics for. And you know what? I have a hard time actually having a lot bad to say to that person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like I might want to nuance it and, and, and tell them, tell them that they're, um, yeah. that, uh, you know, there's a more full orbed <laughs> picture of, of how the gospel in, impacts politics, never less than the pro-life issue. Yeah, um, yeah but but more than the pro-life issue. And, and so there might be plenty, and obviously that's one of the reasons we have this podcast is we think it does, the, the, that the, the Bible and the gospel have, have yeah. political implications that stretch beyond yeah. the yeah. pro-life issue. And, but yeah. at the same time, I have a hard time throwing stones at that person. There are a lot of, 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 just, of just really normal <laughs> um, salt-to-the-earth believers yeah. that would have that reaction um i i can't say i can't say that the same way about so many on the on the other side of this issue who yeah. are like we've got to we've got to persecute christians <laughs> yeah in the culture war um, uh so that so that people cannot be confronted with their sins yeah. So that they can adopt some sort of moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, go and, ahead. And and in many ways, the moral majority is the neocon Christian right. Like that's that's what they were. And and Carl, uh, you said asked who is preaching sermons about Trump? Trump, uh, Google Robert Jeffress. Uh, you're welcome. You're gonna hate it. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, but I do think, but I think, I think, but what you said is, is, is absolutely right. The activism of the right is a flaw, but it's a lesser flaw. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I have, I have said, uh, in, in private conversations with someone who disagreed with me, I made the statement, the only reason the Christians should con be in conversation with the left is in order to refute them. It's my humble opinion. And I think it's true. The only reason to converse with the left is to refute them. I don't believe that the left in its modern form. Sure. There's some good issues that the left has been good on in the past war, um, corporate power, stuff like that. But honestly, the left was really only good about war when Nixon was president, by the way. But anyway, uh, and really only because it was Nixon, but right. <laughs> but I, and I, and I, I stand by that. I think even though I think Christians shouldn't be Trump fans, they shouldn't be Trump fans. I'm, I'm using that word as in sure. fandom, as in dedicated to every word he says again, Google Robert Jeffress. Uh, but I can understand why someone would vote for Trump. I myself didn't, but I understand why they would. I understand their questions and convictions. Yeah, I understand. And I think for that, that, that is one of the reasons like pro the pro-life issue, um, which is a major issue for me. Um, 
However, like it, it really does get down to this. And I think activism, we can expand beyond political and social justice sure. to all to, to the, the well-loved tradition of every evangelical youth group, which is going and serving underprivileged peoples in someone else's city while ignoring the underprivileged people in our own. <laughs> like that there's, we, we would love to serve poor kids overseas just not the poor kids across the street. Like there's, th- th- this is this is like a, a it's it's like a holy pilgrimage we do. Yeah, like like you could, I swear. By the way, I've I've spoken to some people. You would think, uh, you could swear that the mission trip is one of the is like the fifth means of grace according to, to yeah, people. Yeah. Like that that uh, if you're not and and also or go on like going to conferences too. Conferences and conventions, like this is this is a means of grace alongside the 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 others. Like it, it's 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 such a this this active like it's like this idea that you can't possibly grow in faith if you're not uh, working in a soup kitchen. And soup kitchens are good. It is good to take care of the of the poor. Uh, it's good. It's a good work. But it's not. But it's this obsession with it. Like this is what it means to be a Christian is to do this. Well. Or, or, or even an emphasizing of this above everyday ordinary obedience, which right. is far more in keeping with the Christian spirit, uh, the spirit of the Bible. And, 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 and Carl brought up Glenn Greenwald uh, about what do you mean by the left? Is Green, Glenn Greenwald not helpful? First of all, uh, he's about three weeks away from co- coming out as a rightist. Second of all, right. uh, there's going to be exceptions, but I'm speaking of the left right. generally. Like sure. I, when I say when I say I, what I mean is leftism as a philosophy is only useful as a conversation partner in refuting them, refuting the radicalist egalitarian agenda. I guess if that if that's clear, uh, what I, what I mean by that. Um, well, and and to even take someone who is the, the rightist, the rightist, going, the him coming out as a rightist, that's just a joke. I'm jo- making a joke. <laughs> but but even taking like like I I find Caitlin Johnstone very a very helpful conversation partner. I would even go that far, um, a very helpful conversation partner. But but you're but you're talking. I think. You're talking about your ordinary rank and file, uh, your ordinary rank and file leftist. Like no, your, I, I I think or, I, I mean not even maybe not even your ordinary rank and file leftist, but the left, yeah, the left. Wah, that, that's that's what I mean. Left. The left, yeah, 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 insofar okay. like the idea, like like individuals are more than their political perspective, or, or they're more than their uh, agenda when it comes to egalitarian versus. Uh, whatever you know the the right is the the hierarchical sounds a little too over the top like natural hierarchical perspective like people are more than that and i but i don't think okay i'll just say the the egalitarian perspective is not worth engaging in except to refute it now a leftist might be about more things than just egalitarianism and those things might be useful but insofar as caitlin johnstone is a leftist and is espousing espousing leftist ideas then she is only useful insofar as we refute her 
insofar as she is more than just her perspective in that sense. And same with Glenn Greenwald. That this is kind of what I'm talking about. And I, and I am speaking as a as a I Christian. Res- yeah. Sure. And I can respect that Caitlin Johnstone at least takes the egalitarian perspective and then goes, Well then if that's true, war is by far the worst thing we do. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I would quibble with that maybe and say it might be the second worst thing we do. I haven't I haven't done the math, but um, yeah. it's very possible that abortion beats it. But um, but but then but then okay if 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 you take a consistent egalitarian approach, then war is by far the worst thing we do if you don't count abortion. Um, and which I doubt she would. Uh, which she wouldn't. But. Um, and and so at least she follows it to that logical conclusion yeah. and is horrified by yeah. the wars. Yeah. Um, and, and so, <laughs> uh, so like in that sense, like, I, I think, I think she's a pretty consistent across the board leftist and that gets yeah. her to one of the most strident anti-war positions. Yeah of the commentator out there yeah um and so and so like i have a lot of time for her because she realizes that like all right so she's gonna say that property is theft which is hilarious Uh but uh uh, but like she doesn't spend a lot of time on that because from Mm -hmm. a even a consistent egalitarian perspective um uh war is so much more important Mm -hmm. than Rent. Yeah. Here, here's okay. So here's what I mean by that statement. And the state we've gotten, we've gone further than the statement that I intended to go. Uh, but, but uh, what I mean by the statement is, I don't believe a Christian can be okay. I don't believe a Christian can true a true Christian can be a leftist. That is, if you follow the tenets of the scriptures and the tenets of the gospel, you cannot be a leftist. And so there is nothing to uh, nothing to say, nothing to get from leftism per leftism that is going to encourage us to be better Christians, except by opposing them. There are certain expressions of rightism that we also should oppose, but rightism per rightism is not as clearly uh, anti-Christian. And in fact, I can't help but see, I can't see any way to categorize Christianity on the right versus left spectrum as anything other than rightism. And any attempt to be a centrist Christian is going to skew leftism, skew toward leftism, away from Christianity, Christian's natural center. And so to your point, there's, there is this perspective and it is a, it, an expression of evangelical activism that Christianity is the midway point between Democrat and Republican, <laughs> which yeah. is foolishness. It's utter foolishness. Like, it's like saying if so, like if the Republicans come out in favor of pro-life and the Democrats come in favor of pro-choice, like, where's the center? Where's the center? Like, what is the center between abortion as murder and abortion as a human right? Like, what is the center? Well, and 
Right, exactly. That's why that's why the centrism will always take you Skew to left. leftism. Is, always. Is because you're going to be required you're going to be required to define a way. Yeah. Thing the 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 only tether to the right. Yeah. You're going to 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 stay in the center, you you have to define a way the tether to the right. And there are no tethers on the left. That's what the left is. The left is the place of no tethers. <laughs> and 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 um and so and that's I think that's why I think that's the 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 operation by which uh the the statement and I can't remember if it was Andrew Breitbart or who first made it, but that that any organization that is not self consciously right wing will eventually become left wing. But I, that's the yeah. that's why. Um uh that's why it is, is yeah. because um it is because if you if you try to stay neutral, the very that very that very neutrality yes. is going to have you denying yes. firm, exclusive statements <laughs> yes. um, that yeah. that then leave you untethered from going all the way left. Yeah. I and that's where I say like again, I am saying left per leftism is not worth engaging in except for refute refutation. We refute sure. the egalitarian vision. It's not saying that every leftist is, is um, every leftist isn't worth engaging with. It's that leftism. We should never give ground to leftism in the church period. Now, so that's to say in the same way that I say about libertarianism, that it must necessarily be of the right. Because of what it is, I say Christianity must necessarily be of the right. However, that doesn't mean it is every kind of rightism. Like, uh, of course, Carl brings up in the chat, you know, Pinochet. Like, yeah, obviously he might be right about, uh, you know, like it was, it was his, his, his opinion on structure might be right, but his way of getting to it and establishing it is wrong. Like, absolutely. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I agree. We're not every kind of right. We there are many forms of right that Christians should criticize and oppose. Uh, however, it is uh, it is very clear that we are of the right, and so th there is things to learn from the right in the sense of learning and applying and keeping. Um, that is not true of the left, per the left. Um, and and really, again, we're, we're this is in, in many ways we're getting off track, but. But I, 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 that's kind of what I'm. But I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather do the live feedback than, uh, than come back and do this, uh, for four straight episodes where we, where we have to <laughs> qualify what we said, yeah. and you'd have to, you'd have to listen to, uh, to four or five minute segments three weeks. Twenty nine point five um, footnote seven <laughs> in episode thirty one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we already are a self parody, but I don't want to go that far. <laughs> okay. So, but, but let's go to that third, that third pillar, which is the one where no one would expect me to disagree with biblicism, a high regard for an obedience to the Bible as the ultimate authority. Who is that biblicism? Like, is that really mm. biblicism? Like uh, that is a terrible Definition, like it's kind of like saying, uh, 
I'm trying to come up with a good a good parallel to this. It's just it's it's like say okay so. I mean, it's like saying that racism is just having a consideration for race. That's not what racism is. Like, biblicism is like a high regard or obedience for the Bible. No, that's not what biblicism is. Biblicism is the idea that scripture if is the, the as we call it, solo scriptura. That scripture alone, as in with nothing else, is our defense of faith, is our authority. And that's much more what we see in evangelicalism is and and biblicism in the sense of if I try and bring up a creed in church, I get pushback. Um, we, we've been teaching this one creed because we're afraid to add a second one. Uh, honestly, just because we, we want to make sure that everybody sees that this is not us. Like this isn't some anti-scriptural whatever. In fact, that's where I, I wrote a tweet recently uh, actually today, where I, uh, as the the day of our recording this on Sunday, where I said, if you put together what the Bible says about the gospel, if you put all the things that it says about the Bible together, or about the gospel together, it starts to look a lot like the Apostles' Creed. Like that, when when you put together everything the New Testament says about the gospel, it looks a lot like the Apostles' Creed. Like it's just it, it, and then what is the purpose of the creed in that situation? It's as a shorthand for everything the Bible says about the gospel. It's bringing together all of these things. And this is why catechisms, and which we've been talking about, and confessions exist, is as a way to get to the broader systematic of the Bible. That is, getting closer to tota scriptura. As, we, as if you go back to, and if, you have, if you're new to the show, we, recommend, we always recommend you go back to our first episode, and get to get an understanding of what the show's about. And, and we can tell that. from the stats that you're doing that. So thank we can you. tell that you're taking that <laughs> advice. Yeah. Uh, because we say there, we as reformed people are, are dedicated to sola scriptura and tota scriptura and sola scriptura. We distinguish from solo scriptura because sola scriptura is we believe that scripture is the highest authority and all other authorities must be compared according to that. We are not saying that other things aren't useful in defining the doctrine of scripture. This is why I personally subscribe to the 1689 London Baptist Confession, because I believe it to be, with relatively few exceptions, the most faithful expositor of the message of the scriptures as a whole. Like, it brings together the most important doctrines of the Bible into a confession, to a single confession. And so if you're, I'm trying to figure out what does the Bible say about justification, I can go to that chapter in 1689, and I trust that it is going to bring together the most important doctrines of Scripture. And in fact, that its footnotes are going to set me on my path to, to understanding why that's the best doctrine. Um, and, and the reason why I think that is of important value is because if we are solo scriptura, it is going to take our entire lives to get to tota scriptura because I have to discover every single doctrine for myself. I have to read every text of justific- on justification. I have to be able to translate it from the original languages. I have to check it and recheck it against historical and 
biblical background. I have to have this text and this text go back and forth and play ping pong for six rounds until I figure out where it all lines up. And then I can finally figure out what is justification. Or I can look at... I'm. S- <laughs> Go on. I'm 68 years old and I just figured out the doctrine of the Trinity next the wheel yes. and fire. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. We don't have to start from scratch. Now I said, there are relatively few exceptions that I take with the 1689 and those exceptions I take are based on scripture that I've read scriptures and I've come to a different understanding and are better in the 1644. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But, but I think <laughs> that could be a podcast ending differ- diversion. <laughs> but that's where like, I think I think this is the problem with biblicism. And this is why they have to go to ex- activism and why their activism is often yeah. so thin. And their conversionism is also so thin is because they cannot they cannot take a leap to trust what the church has calibrated. And and I. I we have to rewrite everything and we will. And I swear there are some evangelicals who want to disagree with confessions just so they can disagree with confessions. There is a little bit of, of that where we're like, and so it was so fascinating is in the, in, okay, here's a good example. I'm going to go for it and probably alienate some of our listeners. Okay. The ESS, controversy the, the eternal subordination of the sun uh, certain evangelicals who I have respect for started seeing and in fact I will all admit I was one of them I not very long ago affirmed ESS um, uh, eternal subordination of the sun what that what that means is that Christ in his divinity is subordinate to the son. That is that the way God, the son and God, the father interact with each other in eternity. That is in the, we call it like we, we usually distinguish between the economic Trinity and the imminent Trinity or, or the economic Trinity, God in his rea- interaction with the world and God in his interaction with himself. And in the economic Trinity, clearly God, the son follows the lead of God, the father. In God, in his interaction with the world, God sends the son and the son does the work of the father. Like that's, that's true. But they would go on and say, and that's the way God interacts with himself. That God, the father is always the, the hierarchical head of the, of the Trinity. And Jesus is the, is always submissive. It is the nature of God, the son to be submissive to God, the father. And, and the question is, and the truth is they had some texts that seemed to point in that direction. And, and this te- and this was kind of an in-house debate um, among complementarians where some complementarians wanted to use this as a way of justifying the fa- the headship of the man to the woman is, is analogous to the headship of God, the father to God, the son. But the return was hold up. Doesn't that create two wills in God? That makes it so that God the Father has a different will than God the Son. God the Father has the will to lead, and God the Son has the will to obey. And, um, and it's, 
and, and but Patrick is right. He says it's starting to sound like a little bit like Jehovah's Witnesses without the heresy, except the problem is that it leaves us open to that heresy. It leaves us open to following that way. And it really was me sitting and listening to really the second generation of leaders at Bethlehem Baptist, at Bethlehem Seminary, uh, essentially critiquing their their senpai and saying there was a set there was this was a, a situation where if we had heard the wisdom of our forefathers and rejected this as wrong as incorrect not maybe not heresy but definitely as not correct orthodoxy we would have made less errors and we would have left ourselves open to less more significant errors and in fact they came back and said, due to the, the, the wisdom of our forefathers who told us not to fall into this error, we can read these same texts that you're bringing forth in a far more consistent way. And so it's not starting to sound like uh, we're making a, a hypothetical scenario wherein the God the Son has a, a different will than God the Father. Right. And... And this is a situation where our biblicism, again, our biblicism has come in and caused us to be incorrect about the Bible. Another great example we've said before, we've brought it up before new covenant theology, like new covenant theology. It's, it's basically taking Luther's observation and taking it to a place that Luther would have never wanted to go with it. Uh, of this idea that the old covenant has passed away and therefore the only old covenant laws that we have to follow are the ones that are restated in the new te- in the new covenant. And so we uh, for instance that means no more sabbath. Uh, we don't we don't have the lord's day uh, any longer. It's it's just uh it's really just about well you'll even hear people being like, "Well, the church wisely decided to meet on one day of the week um, in order to unify our worship and we will follow that wisdom, but it's an option. It's just an optional thing because there is no law about it or or they'll go so far or they'll or they'll or they'll outright reject law as wrong because it's law because the law is passed away and the law is not able to save once again getting back to the problem of conversionism uh if the law doesn't convert it must be of no use because conversion is what matters yeah yeah uh and th- or, but then, or very relevant to the content of this podcast, yeah. rejecting the idea that that uh, secular authorities will be judged for their actions as secular authorities. Yes, um, a lot of the NCT guys went that direction. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, which I, I mean, to my partial shame, that was the first thing that made me go. No, I think they're wrong. <laughs> um, but that 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 was the first thing. Like I I never went, I never yeah. went in fear or anything. But I, but I was like, okay, I'm gonna hear this out. I'm gonna hear this out, and yeah. I'm not seeing anything. I didn't see the obvious things that you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That are that are actually more prior and more important than that. Yeah. I didn't necessarily see them, but when it got to the, um, when it got to the, uh that government actors will not be judged for their actions in the context of their role in the government. I went, that can't be right. Mm-mm. That can't be right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a, 
again, this this and it's really what what the, this what's called radical two two kingdoms covenant uh, radical two kingdoms theology this this idea that they are completely ruled by different uh, laws the church ruled by the law of Christ the the kingdom of this world ruled by the law of natural revelation is just um, is it, very it's just not for one thing it's silly uh, for another thing it's just not biblical but but really the big issue is that as a result of this biblicist thing where they see the law is abolished there it is the law has been has been done away the, the law has been conf- fulfilled so there's no more law we don't have to follow law anymore we as a result oh, yeah. well i love that I love the quotation of I come not to abolish the law, but but to fulfill it. And by the way, right. we're going to we're going to define fulfill as if it meant abolish. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, this, and they'll take it and be like, be like the law is passed away. So we don't have to follow these any of the rules. And so the Ten Commandments are really only useful because we find them again in the t- in the second in the new covenant, except for the one commandment. And that one commandment is the one that was literally written into the creation as a whole right move on not a big deal and but but really and i always i always point i always point out to them like in in response to this whole uh i only follow the old covenant laws if they're if they're quoted in the new covenant it's like i am less interested about which laws are quoted than i am how they're quoted like whenever paul quotes the old covenant the old covenant laws. He always says, "Well, haven't you read it said?" Like the implication is, you know this, you believe this, you are following this. I shouldn't have to explain this to you. Like it's always by way of course. Why? Why? Why should you pay? Well, you. Why should you pay your your pastors? Well, because haven't you read, the ox should feed. You know. <laughs> The ox should eat. Like, yeah. I just, it's like, he's like, it's so funny. Like that is such a great example because he's like, I'm assuming you're reading the law and you're, you are assuming it has something to say now. Yes. The mosaic law in the sense of the mosaic, the, the reign of the mosaic covenant has passed away, but the law does not start from Moses. It starts in the heart of God. And so particularly what the church and, and when you start to look at what are those laws that start in the heart of God that that come before the Mosaic Covenant and therefore have a binding significance, it sounds an awful lot like it's the you know moral laws, huh? That sounds like a good name for it. I wonder if the church ever taught about something like that. <laughs> and and if you look at the the type of passages that are mostly used for typological or symbol symbolic significance, they seem to be uh, in this. Uh, area I don't know what to call it. let's just call it ceremonial laws and <laughs> the laws that have to do with uh with uh that that we're to maybe look at as as, as really just as uh as, as as kind of um I don't know how you say how what's the word they come up with like the the uh um sort of illustrations to the seriousness of sin and, and maybe uh, to be used in a symbolic way in church government. Let's uh, those, those fall under an area. Let's just, I don't know what to call them. Let's just say civil laws. Like we just reinvented the reformation tripartite view right. of the law. 
And again, this is the this is the chaos that biblicism has wrought. Because yeah, yeah, Carl Menger. Nah, Sodom was all fine and dandy because they were pretty mosaic. <laughs> exactly. And, and this is the chaos that biblicism has wrought is this idea that like you you latch onto one or two verses and therefore you throw out all of the of the 2000 years of Christian thought on the subject and the weighing of texts. And you just assume that not a single one of them read the Bible until you finally came along and said, let's throw out the tradition and let's just read the Bible. Like you invent, you just came up with reading the Bible. Like, like that's really the arrogance of the biblicist perspective is, is, is to come along and say, I am finally reading the Bible for 2000 years. The church didn't do that. They just had their traditions, but I'm finally reading the Bible. Now, is that to say that we can't ever critique tradition? Absolutely not. We can critique tradition and we should critique it according to the standard of God's word. But it's not like we have to start from fret. We have to, we don't have to start from scratch and, and, yeah, <laughs> and and as a result, hey we have. Guys, a, I was exe- I was exegeting all that bathwater we threw out, and it turns out there's babies in here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Man. Yeah. 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 What uh, Patrick says: theology only exists in post 1952 Billy Graham Stadium gatherings. That's right. Yeah. It, but but it's, we result in this anemic theology that is incapable of dealing with anything because we are incapable of admitting the fact that our dad might've been right about something. It's essentially what it comes down to. Yeah. It's essentially what it comes down to is we're trying to figure out adulthood because we would hate to admit that our dad might've been right about something like that. That's, that's what throw out the tradition and just read the Bible is, but you don't get it, Josh. My dad was a boomer. (laughs) <laughs> it's just not Patrick, possible. isn't this leftism? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Out with the old, in with the new. That is ex- exactly right. And this is why a lot of right-wing Christians would be shocked to find out they've been leftists all along. Yeah. Let's get to fourth point, because I think this is going to tie everything together. Because everywhere we... Everywhere I look on the definition of evangelicalism, it all comes down to this crucicentrism. Now, you'd be like, now what could you possibly be opposed to about crucicentrism? Christ, uh, Paul said, I came and I knew nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. So, what do you, what, what would you, are you going to disagree with Paul? You, you punk. <laughs> like, so, so. <laughs> So it's a stress on the sacrifice this, of Jesus Christ. This person is obviously listening to their first episode, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> a stress on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is making possible the redemption of humanity. I do not disagree with that sentence. I disagree. I, I disagree with the making possible, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's true. Um, although again, I think this is, they're trying to allow for the big tent. Oh, although, but, but, okay. But that sentence, but even so is not substitutionary penal. Yes. So I'm not yes. even going for Calvinism so much as substitutionary penal atonement. And we'll come and back yes, to that. And yes, of course there's a connection, but, but, but like, so if you're saying making possible, then that's not substitutionary penal. Yeah. No, 
Um, so, which is already an abandonment of a of a previous evangelical commitment. I'm gonna point that out. But, um, but I do not disagree with if we yeah if we we uh, interpret making possible in the most charitable charitable light sure. possible in such yeah. a charitable light that we are actually skewing it in the right direction. <laughs> uh, yeah, correct. but I don't disagree with the fact that the cross is the grounds of our salvation that our justification is uh, is only on the grounds of Christ's work bearing the wrath of God on the cross for the sins of believers i like to clarify it in that way so that it allows for both the arminian and the uh, calvinist interpretation is for so that the for the sins of believers that is those who believe in jesus will be saved on account of Christ's death. But isn't there, I, I, uh, it was so hard for me not to, con- to finish the sentence though. What's missing. Is, is that what happened? Did Jesus just die? And that's, that's the end of it. This is not the end of it. That's not the end of the gospel. Like the, this is the problem. And I think this is ultimately all of, of, Evangelicals, modern evangelicalism's flaws come down to crucicentrism, that they center the cross and forget the empty tomb. Right. Why do we emphasize conversion and not salvation as the total of our lives? Salvation, not just past, not just present, which is what conversionism emphasizes, but also past. Uh oh, getting into the election and predestination. Turn back, turn back. But and also future and progressive salvation like this is something that you I I was almost shocked to see it when I went to the catechism and I saw it define sanctification as salvation. And it shocked me, first of all, that they would say that. And it shocked me, second of all, that I never thought of it like the first time I read it. Like, of course, it's salvation. It's salvation from the power of sin. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Like that is, that's also the gospel breaking the power of canceled sin. Sin has been canceled and we are breaking the power. That is what salvation is. And so salvation is bigger than the moment of conversion. And it, and the only reason, and the reason you don't get salvation is bigger than the moment of conversion is because we're only picturing the cross and the cross can only deal with, Forgiveness, bearing wrath, present tense salvation. It is the power of the resurrection that gives us the power to walk in salvation, to walk in life. We died with Christ and now we live with him. We died on the cross. We were buried with him. So we are forgiven and we walk with him because we have been raised with Christ. That is the whole of it's like evangelicalism stops at Romans five. And, and forgets that Romans six on exists. It really does because we don't know what to do with the resurrection. In fact, that's why you get, and I, I remember hearing about this of like someone had talked about how they heard an Easter sermon where the pastor preached about total depravity on Easter. <laughs> and I was like, what? That is insane. On Easter, you preach about the resurrection. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big holiday guy, but like, that's what you do. Easter is about the resurrection. The resurrection is if 
by evangelicalism not knowing what to do with the resurrection, except insofar as it puts a rubber stamp on the on the crucifixion, we don't know what to do with salvation as a lifestyle. Like we don't know what to do with I am being saved. We only know what to do with I am saved. You don't know what I am being saved. Like, what does that mean? Or we have, let alone any concept of I will be saved. This concept that there is still a salvation yet to come. That the 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 fulfillment of my cur- of my present tense salvation that will be accomplished and 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 vindicated on the last day in the resurrection, um, where where all of the, that which is mine as a taste as a foretaste will become. Full and yes, Patrick's sorry, Paul. Put off the old man and put on the new man. I walked up to the altar call. He's right. Like we we understand that only as conversion language. I was dead. Now I am new. Except we don't. Un- we new can only be a metaphor, and not an actual power. If 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 there is no resurrection from the dead, and if we can't center the resurrection of the dead in our theology. And, 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 and let's go on. Why is activism so high? Because we don't know what to do if we don't have resurrection power. If we don't have resurrection power, then everything is about conversion. And if everything is about conversion, then the only thing we can do is things that will reflect positively on conversion. Like, we, why, why do we care about the poor? Because we might get them to convert. Why do we do social change? Because the problem is that the society is not right to receive the gospel and convert. Like, and, or, and, and we have no concept. Like there's, there's nothing here about sanctification. Like there's, there's sort of a, a hint at it. Like, oh, in a lifelong process of following Jesus. Yeah, it's called sanctification. It's called growing in holiness, which I'm sorry, brings the law back in. Because what's the ruler that we measure ourselves against? Uh, Jesus. What does that mean? What does that mean? Measuring ourselves against Jesus. What is Jesus like? Like there's a shocking little amount of explanation of Jesus's uh, personality. <laughs> like in the, in the Bible, like there's not a, a personality trait of like, here's a list of what it means to be Christ. Like it. And then when they do, it starts to look a lot, an awful lot like the law, like following the moral law of God. Like the, And then, of course, biblicism. Why does the resurrection change biblicism? Because the resurrection is the power also of illumination. And the power of resurrection is the power of walking and growing in our understanding of the Bible and then passing on that growing understanding to future generations so they can take up our standard and keep going. Resurrection is the power of the church to continue to grow toward perfection, toward purity, doctrinal purity. Now, yes, just like just like with our own selves, there is going to be no perfection in the church this side of eternity. But there is growth. There is a be there is also a being saved about the church. Not perfectly. There are times where we have to go back and say, okay, we messed that up. Um, uh, you know, that's really what the reformation was is in, in many ways going back and saying, we messed a few things up along the way and doing that in accordance with the word of God. However, they did it with a lot more fear and trembling than people, uh, picture them have, as doing. Um, 
but but the power of the resurrection by being absent just undercuts everything we do there there is no power like this is why it's good works are only useful in adorning our gospel proclamation which that is one reason we do good works but also like to to please god that we can actually please god like you can do that like like you are not uh, like this is where like someone had wrote an article like calvinist you are not a sinful wretch you are not a depraved wretch and he was saying the calvinist Cal, in the sense of if you are truly a calvinist in the sense that you have become a born again believer that is past tense language you are not that anymore you are not totally depraved anymore you are redeemed that is power of resurrection but but evangelicals go around saying well i'm just a sinner shrug my shoulders we are more than that we are redeemed and that means something because of the resurrection it's more than just forgiveness it is power for growth yeah well and that's why when you cut off at romans 5 then you miss the part about how you don't sin all the more so the grace may abound yeah <laughs> and and so um and so like yes if there is an extent to which if you are asking that question at the end of Romans 5, you have understood the argument. Yes. <laughs> You've understood what Paul is saying. Yes. But then he's going to correct you. Yes, absolutely. It's it's kind of like if you get to the end of chapter 1 and you start uh, start so judging no- them <laughs> and, and not looking at yourself, you've also understood chapter oh, yeah. 1. Chapter two, he gets yeah. into, so then you have no excuse, you who judge others, but practice the very same things. He's bringing in the person who agrees with them and saying, now let's talk about you. <laughs> but really, ultimately, the big problem. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good question. Can't we get over this hump by asking, can Christians still sin? If yes, by what standard do we say we sin? If not the law, then what? He's right. He's right. Absolutely. Um. But really, ultimately, this is the, the problem. The reason why we, we set the pen t- tent pegs in these four things, which are shaky foundations, is because, I said, we are setting tent pegs in a tent. The whole point of evangelicalism, everywhere it exists, is this idea that we are uh, able to build a large tent. What does it say? Our core... Theological convictions provide unity in the midst of our diversity. And what does that look like? He says, our community brings together Reformed, Holiness, Anabaptist, Pentecostal, Charismatic, and other traditions. Here's the problem with that. These are mutually exclusive. Pentecostal and Charismatic are mutually exclusive because the Charismatic attempts to correct the Pentecostal in their mind, uh, error of making, uh, of making speaking in tongues, the sign of conversion of being born again, the reformed reject the charismatic gifts. Like if we're going to make a distinction between the two, like obviously there's the, the quote reformed charismatics and that's a whole conversation in itself. But 
if we're going to talk about reformed in the sense of reformed uh, cessationists, they cannot be a charismatic. Or how about the holiness tradition, which is in many ways built as a, uh, well, the holiness tradition, the whole idea is that the idea that you can attain perfect holiness. Well, reformed and holiness are mutually exclusive. Reformed directly say you cannot be perfectly holy this side of, of eternal life. And sure, there were some modified holiness positions, but you know what they are usually? Wesleyan. You know what Wesleyans are? Arminian. Reformed cannot be Arminian. Anabaptists cannot be reformed. Either of the Baptist variety, because they they pour over instead of dipping, or of the infant Baptists, because they baptize, uh, they rebaptize, Anna, baptize again, they baptize believers instead of babies. And also Anabaptists uh, reject covenant theology of the reformed whether Baptist or, or non or, or paedo Baptist, like these are mutually exclusive traditions. And, and like another one, I actually pulled up this article because I, I had, I had closed it before. And then I realized, no, 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 I, I really want this. There's a, a gospel coalition us article from November 4th, 2015. So a while ago um, by Justin Taylor called the five distinguishing marks of evangelicalism. And he's reading another book. Uh, and they come up with five marks because he separates out uh, spiritual renewal and worldwide evangelization. The two things that are combined in activism. So, you know, whatever. Okay. Whatever. Um, but then he talks about from Protestant reformers. He starts listing all the different things that they have learned from that American evangelicalism has learned from. It says from Protestant reformers, including Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin and Menno Simons. They inherited and then gave four common things that we learned from those four people. Menno Simons? Alongside Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, and John Calvin? I don't know who that's going to offend more. The Calvinist Lutherans and Zwinglians <laughs> or the, the uh, Mennonites. Like, that's... <clears throat> That's insane. Like that's crazy. Like putting those names together and and assuming some common unity from that. Like that's those these. I I think we should give preference to the people who were drowned by the others uh, and say that they have the right to be more. Fitted, but yeah, that's, that's just me. That's fair. <laughs> but but this is that whole idea. Like we can we can hold them together, and this is the shared belief in. Uh, shared faith and broad diversity, but you have to define faith so broadly that you're like, well, what does faith mean? And like, uh, th this is their, their statement that they, they, that they're talking about. Like we can all agree. Our diversity ranges across geography, race, politics, and economics. Like, and, and I was like, well, that's interesting because I, as a libertarian, I don't feel much included in the evangelical, uh, diversity, but, but like, these things are like, so like, what are, what are they saying? Are they saying that these are indifferent no. matters? And, and what about Anabaptists who that like traditional Anabaptists don't believe that political action is right. It is possible. Yeah. As um, pacifists who define that, uh, uh political right. action as violence, like they, they have right. to reject it. And, and it's like, and also like conflating that as the great multitude that no one could count. Like, so, so what, what, what is they saying? That's taking an ex, uh, eschatological reality and thinking that we can accomplish that in a earthly form 
uh, in this this evangelical alliance. That, and why would we want an evangelical alliance if not for politics? I'm sorry, it goes back to the activism. But, but like, then we look at this. What is this shared faith? The statement of faith. What is this shared faith? We believe the Bible to be the inspired, the only infallible, authoritative word of God. Inerrant is noticeable by its absence. But that's all they say about the word of God. If you look to any of the 16th, uh, 1689 or the 1644, 1646 confessions, there's a lot more to say about what the word of God means. Like, is it clear? How do we interpret it? How do we understand it? Like, like, how do we apply it? Like, there's so much more to understand the Bible than this, but in order to preserve their broad tent, they have to say very little. And the less you say, the less useful it is. And, and then, and, and also, especially, it's less useful in excluding others. Someone might say that the Bible is inspired, infallible, and authoritative, um, but then explain away passages as, uh, well, this, this was just um, uh, contextual, it's just historical context. Like, this has nothing to do with us today. And then, ta-da, we've justified um, ignoring First Timothy 2 about women elders, women pastors. And then what does it say about God? Oh my gosh, this is the most bare bones statement of God. We believe in the Trinity. They barely cover the Trinity and then they move on. How about the holiness of God? How about the love of God? How about the character and attributes of God? Well, they can't define those because then they're going to have to uh, give certain preference or they're going to have to define it in certain ways and someone's going to be excluded. Um, the Christ they're able to put the most information into and we can and we're, and good for them in um, how they define it. But then you've also got like vicarious and atoning death through his shed blood. Well, what does that mean? If you try and get into that, uh, like, is it a penal substitution? Is it a uh, offering the possibility of salvation? Does it affect actual salvation? Um, they do affirm his bodily resurrection and ascension and personal return and power and glory. But, like, what does all that mean? I don't know. It's, but then we believe, okay, we believe that for the salvation of the lost and sinful people, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. But what is regeneration by the Holy Spirit? What causes that? Um, does it, is it come on the basis of faith? Does it come about, uh, uh, does it come about, uh, does faith come from regeneration? Well, they, they purposely don't define that because they want to include both Calvinists and Arminians. And yet, Patrick does point out, by affirming the Trinity, they are uh, they are excluding oneness Pentecostals. So good for them standing on that. Um, you know, but, you know, may, you know they had although, met some although of the more this nice is not, people. This is not the way I would write it if I were trying to keep a oneness Pentecostal from being able to sign this. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Because because it can be it can get slippery enough to where they might they might yeah that's work true. their way around it. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, we believe in the personal ministry of the Holy Spirit by those indwelling the Christian, uh, who's in by who's indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. Um, it while being while mentioning the Holy Spirit is unclear about. Uh, and the indwelling and the godly life is unclear about what any of that looks like um, so that they can include both the Pentecostals and the Reformed. Uh, right. We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost. They that are saved into the resurrection of life, and they that are lost into resurrection of damnation. Well, at least good for them for mentioning damnation. Like that's because that's something that 
Of course, you know, it's maybe it's an old enough uh, statement that they haven't had a chance to edit that one. And then we believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what word they didn't use. What is notable from his absence in this statement of faith? Oh, I don't know. How about the church? Yeah. Even the creed, of the, which which is very slimmed down, stripped down, and basically essential, mentions the church. Right. There, there's no statement about the church here. That we believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's still dealing with them as individuals. What are we? What are we? In, what are we united into? Should we? Jo- should we join a local body? This isn't dealt with. So this is where the problem is. It's so broad as to be unuseful and, and it's trying to hold together people who cannot be held together. I'm sorry. They can't, you cannot hold reformed holiness Anabaptist, Pentecostal charismatic together into one category. And in fact, I made this comment to Jeff, but in the pre-show when we were just talking where I said, I think loose alliances make better friends like looser alliances make better friends, especially in this situation. Like it, when you're trying to if you really are trying to hold these people together to make their differences unimportant, you're going to make one of two things happen. Either their differences are going to become lessened in which case you're going to end up with an anemic theology that is unprepared for the world. And this is speaking for us reformed as well as for our Anabaptist holiness, Pentecostal charismatic uh, brothers and sisters. You are either going to lessen the distinctives because we're going to ignore that all to, to let's just focus on what keeps us together. And then all of that is falls aside. And then we wonder why people think Christians uh, have no intellectual tradition because we abolished it in order to hang together as a union or we are going to end up fighting. Because as we sit in this union, we're going to start fighting over who gets to control the union. Loose federations make for better friends. When, when Reformed and Lutherans hang together for the purpose of uh, justification by faith alone, we do it understanding that our distinctions are, once you get to a certain point, mutually exclusive. I cannot be both a Lutheran and Reformed. Our our conceptions of certain things are mutually exclusive. You have to pick one or the other. However, acknowledging that and not lessening that, we can stand together to preach the gospel and to stand against the false gospels of people who lessen justification by faith alone. Um... Or, or, or let's, let's go there. Uh, we can, we can even unite with Catholics understanding as we do or believing as we do that their gospel is so flawed as to become no gospel at all. That is, that is the belief of the Protestants. We we're, we're getting flaky on that, but that is ultimately the Protestant confession. We can hold that and still unite with the Catholics to fight abortion if we are clear about where our lines are drawn. If we aren't hazy on the lines, 
we can say we agree with you that life needs to be preserved. Loose confederations make for better friends. We do, the the less we are, the less tight our inner wovenness is, the less we have to fight over side issues or ignore them. And so evangelicalism, by attempting to bring in every possible type of Protestant, of a, I guess you could call a conservative type of Protestant, which, what does that even mean? Tune in for the next bonus episode. Um, but by holding these all together, it becomes useless. It becomes unhelpful. Well, and the other, the other big thing that is missing from from all of this is an explicit affirmation of the historicity of all these things that we've talked about with Jesus, and then the historicity of the Old Testament. Because fundamentally, if we don't agree that the revelation of the Old Testament law happened in the way the Bible records, then we don't, then we don't agree on the authority of the scriptures. If we don't agree that at least, at least in some sense, there was a historical Adam. Yeah. Then we don't agree about the authority of the scriptures. I'm willing to give some leeway on that, but not we we can't give away the farm on that one. Yeah. Um Yeah. There 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 are some pretty fundamental things where like both of us could say that we agree that the Bible is inspired and authoritative, and especially if you're living out that word inerrant. And unlike the oldest creeds of the church, you're never saying he suffered under Pontius Pilate, for instance. In other words, it happened at a particular point in human history. Yes. Um, that we agree that humanity fell at Adam or that, uh, yeah. uh, uh, or that, um, or that, or that Adam's posterity inherits his sin, or we're not, we're not actually, if we're not actually going to define that in the way that the some of the oldest confessions in the church um, have defined, then we're leaving a lot more room for uh, fundamental disagreements about the nature and authority and sufficiency of the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think ultimately this is the issue I see um, with this is the re okay. This is the reason for the evangelical downgrade. As I said in the previous episode, the morality, we'll hold on to it for a little while, but if there's no doctrine undergirding our morality, that's going to fall apart eventually. 
This is why I said, if you want a revival, you need to start with a reformation. And also, a revival is going to look less like excitement and more like holiness. And if you want an awakening, if you want another awakening, it needs to start with a revival. The church needs to bring return to Christ and to holiness before our gospel will be blessed with fruit. Now, it's not saying that God isn't working through the church, but if we're going to see widespread awakening in this nation, uh, which I long for, there needs to be a reformation. And so evangelicalism needs to get over its anemic mere Christianism. This, this, these four pillars will not hold the tent together. You know what? I think there are pillars that will, though. And so this is why I want to contrast this National Alliance of Evangelical, of, of not National Association of Evangelicals with the Cambridge, uh, no, with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Uh, the website is alliancenet.org. And this is something called the Cambridge Declaration. This was a bringing together of Reformed Baptists, Reformed Presbyterians, Lutherans, um, some of the great names uh uh of the of uh, of today and and beyond and before RC Sproul, James Montgomery Bo- uh, Boyce, John MacArthur, Al Moeller, yeah the Sprolier and Moeller types. Like these are the people who they all came together and they were some of the first signatories of this Cambridge Declaration. And you see I was doing it backwards. <laughs> yeah. You see I forgot it's courage and and guts to this. This isn't some like afraid of exclude you will find no fear of exclusion in this declaration. You find what do we see? Sola scriptura, the which they call the erosion of authority and they tie it to what what and they they they're not afraid of using the inerrant word. And they say uh, rather than adopting, adapting Christian faith to satisfy the felt needs of consumers, we must proclaim the law as the only measure of true righteousness and the gospel is the only announcement of saving truth. Biblical truth is indispensable to the church's understanding, nurture, and discipline. Scripture must take us beyond our perceived needs to our real needs and liberate us from seeing ourselves through the seductive images, cliches, promises, and priorities of mass culture. It is only in the light of God's truth that we understand ourselves are right and see God's provision for our need. The Bible, therefore, must be taught and preached to the church. Sermons must be expositions of the Bible and its teachings, not expressions of the preacher's opinions or the ideas of the age. We must settle for nothing less than what God has given. And then you've got uh, an affirmation and a denial. With each one, there's an affirmation. We Affirm the inerrant scripture to be the sole source of written divine revelation, which alone can bind the conscience. The Bible alone teaches all that is necessary for our salvation from sin and is the standard by which all Christian behavior must be measured. We deny that any creed, counsel, or individual may bind a Christian's conscience, that the Holy Spirit speaks independently of or contrary to what is set forth in the Bible, or that personal spiritual experience can be a ve- ever be a vehicle of revelation. They are excluding people here. Absolutely. And by the way, by denying that any creed, counsel, or individual may bind a Christian's conscience, they aren't saying that it may that it is of no use in discerning that which is Scripture 
and can bind the Christian's conscience. I, you know how I know they believe that? Because if they Take didn't believe that, they wouldn't have written this confession. They wouldn't have written this confession. <laughs> like, they wrote this whole thing. Obviously, they think you can exposit scriptural truth in forms other than just quoting the Bible directly. <laughs> but you get, and then you got sola script, Christus, Christ-centeredness, uh, is an affirmation denial. Sola gratia, here's is another really good one. I love this one. In, uh, uh, where is it? Soli Deo Gloria. Uh, no, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. All the way under everything, you've got this call to repentance and reformation. There's, we repent of our worldliness. Been influenced by the gospels of the secular culture, which are no gospels. We've weakened the church by our own lack of serious repentance, our blindness to the sins in ourselves, which we see so clearly in others, and our inexcusable failure to adequately tell to adequately tell others about God's saving work in Jesus Christ. We also earnestly call back erring professing evangelicals who have deviated from God's word in the matters discussed in this declaration. Like there is calling out there is calling to repentance there's a backbone in this christianity there is this there's none of this uh chronic niceness that you see in our culture of failure to call out other people who have have uh aired you know i've even thought about it and there's a sense in which like man you know the courage that i thought i saw in previous generations of evangelicalism that i got caught up with like it was the courage of calling out fundamentalists who everyone already hated and the courage right. of calling out uh, prosperity gospelists, which everyone already hated. These were easy targets to take on. Like, sure, prosperity gospel is disgusting and should be opposed. But really, like, I mean, aside from a few large churches, do we really think it's sweeping through this nation? Far more, far more dangerous is the secularism that we're just sort of, you know, well, there's a midway point to be found. Like that's, that's, and this Cambridge Declaration has, has guts to go after falsehood, even as they define truth. And that's what evangelicalism needs. A, a gutsy full-bodied theology if it's going to be of any use and which means we are not we cannot be a big tent we need to draw lines in the sand we need to define certain things as as incompatible with the gospel of jesus christ and you'll notice where do they center that the five souls of the reformation the five souls of the reformation are what they they base this whole thing on Sola Scriptura, uh, the Bible alone as the ultimate authority. Solus Christus, Christ alone as the only Savior. Uh, sola Gratia, gospel alone, or grace alone, that it is all by grace and no works. Faith alone, the, the chief article of the Reformation, my gosh, the whole reason we are not Catholics and we are all we're wavering on it in the evangelical church wavering or just not talking about it. We can't not talk about this. This is the chief article of the Reformation. Sola, soli Deo Gloria. We are so self 
glorifying and we have denied the importance of what we have we have skewed worship to a tool to conversion oh Conver- conversionism has killed worship so we make these crappy tunes because they might attract the attention of secularists of people who don't believe in God. Well, if we we make these these peppy tunes that say very little about Jesus, maybe we can get them in the church. <sighs> and God is not honored. Well, Evan, and yeah. We define we say that um that it's our obligation with our worship services to love our neighbor, which me are which means taking the unregenerate person's definition of love and applying that to all the decisions we make about our worship services. So then unsurprisingly, we stop doing them when there's a flu. Yep. (sighs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. But you, but also like, you know, it's interesting. Patrick mentions in the chat, uh, another statement and, and I don't think, and he didn't even know that I had this queued up to go to as well. The Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy. This is how much of a far cry is it from this, this, well, yep. We believe the Bible to be inspired only infallible. I guess it gives me nothing. The Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy is pages, article, article after article, 20 or was it 19 articles about what it means to affirm inerrancy. You get through this book, you get through this, sorry, this, this confession or this statement It's not a confession. They're very clear that this is not a confession um, because they're going to want to drive you to the actual historic confessions. But this statement, you get through it and you have no confusion about whether or not this is, uh, that this what what what's uh inerrancy is, and every article, as as Patrick mentions, has an affirmation and de- and a denial. And this is called uh, oh my goodness, what's that word with a P? Um, for argument. Polemic. Polemic. There we go. Polemic. This is the polemic style that many old uh that many old confessions were written in, but we don't write polemics anymore because that wouldn't be nice. Uh, it's not nice to pick a fight with someone you disagree with. Just state the truth and expect them to understand. Uh, never, never yeah, call out this, the lies. This, this is, this is why I quickly realized that I did not have a future in academia when I briefly thought that I might was, uh, um, I, I had read old stuff. So I knew the word polemic and polemical and mm-hmm. when i realized that every time my colleagues were using the word polemical they meant it as an insult yep. i went oh i have no place in this <laughs> i have no place in this business <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean another word for that is elenctic which uh a certain scholar wrote an entire uh entire book i, I say book but really it's books uh, called Institutes of Atlantic Theology. And Calvin himself, who many of these nice evangelicals claim to be following, wrote Institutes as a polemic against 
lies, not just a statement of truth, but a polemic against untruths. And it's very easy to agree with his polemics and not continue the process of polemic polemicizing against lies. I bet after God, prayer, and and words like that, the one of the most common words in Calvin's Institute is the word calumny, and it's very yes. variations. Yes. <laughs> like yes. it's just constant because he's constantly refuting calumnies, which is to say yeah. lies. Um, yeah, and a lot of these people who a lot of them really like the five uh the five points of of calvinism tulip if they read the art the original document that set forth the five points of calvinism they would find that each one of them came with a lengthy list of denials this is not this this is a denial of this many of which they called heresy which today we would say well you know no no need to pick a fight we will say no need to pick a fight about the very things that the people who laid out the five articles of, of Calvinism said, not only, <laughs> not only is it worth picking a fight, it's worth dividing over. And, uh, Carl Manger says, I'm going to go polemic Archie flowers. That's a good call. Polemic them out. Bring, brim the electics. <laughs> uh, but, but, but not only that, like a lot of people talk about the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy because it's on such an important topic, but forget that they went on and gave two more statements they they went on to say we also need a statement on biblical application not everything uh can be not everything is app uh uh, uh, not every application of the bible uh is or a biblical scripture is a proper application and so they got together and they wrote another article on the the application of scriptures and you'll see that largely has to do with theology and uh Theology of this, theology of sanctity of human life. Ooh, I bet that would be fun to read. Um, you also have a Chicago statement on biblical hermeneutics. You got J.I. Packer's name at the top. That uh, this is about um, how we interpret scriptures, not just that the scriptures are authority, but how do we read in a scripture? And they once again have affirmations and denials, and it is robust. And it is, it is, uh, and it is exclusionary. They draw lines in the sand. This does not mean this. The reason, the reason you you write denials is to exclude. Evangelicals need to stop being afraid of drawing lines in the sand. If we are ever going to stop the evangelical downgrade, we are going to have to draw lines in the sand. We cannot affirm everything. And again. Evangelicalism, by trying to be centrist, has become more and more leftist, which is why, as I said in the previous episode, it is now up for debate whether or not evangelicals should be for modesty and dress. Like we have, it is debatable whether or not it is a sin for a woman to dress in such a way as to incite lust in a man. That's a debatable topic. I think at topic. this point, this was... I think at this point, this was two uh, evangelical downgrade episodes ago. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, this is I, just going to be a long think, one. They're just okay, going to have to put up okay, with a long one. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, but, as, 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 much, as much as I love doing an AKA that people won't understand until next week, which I seem <laughs> to be doing a lot lately. <laughs> no, we're, yeah, we, this is, uh, but this is. All right, excellent. 
but and, and so I think with that we are going to uh br- I think we can bring this to a close. Um okay. <laughs> and uh so let's bring this to a close and I think I want to end on the same note essentially that we started on which is if evangelicalism is going to be useful we have to be able to draw lines. If we are going to be for truth, we need to be against error. You can't, we can't do this wishy-washy thing where we say, I am for truth and I'm just going to state the truth and hope they understand and hope they're able to figure out what is error. Uh, Acts 20, 28. I'm actually going to pull it up this time because we talked about it last time and I want to, I want to make sure that I, I, Say it clearly. Acts 20, 28 through, I believe, 30. Yeah. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which you obtained with the blood of his own. That's my interpret. That's my translation. I think it's more accurate. Uh, the blood of his own or with his own blood as ESV translated. Pay careful attention. Literally shepherd yourselves and all the flock. Shepherd yourself. Start with yourself. The pastor's first responsibility or the elder, whether that's a paid pastor or an unpaid pastor, whoops, pulled that one, Uh, a paid elder or an unpaid elder, their first responsibility is to watch over themselves. As I often say to people who think they can care for others without caring for their own soul first, you can't pour out of a cup that is empty. So pay careful attention to yourself, and also you're not going to speak truth if you don't believe truth. Keep watch over yourself. Shepherd yourself and shepherd your flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So that, by the way, that's the word for, uh, that's the word episkopos, which some people translate bishops. Whoops. Shepherd and bishop is the same thing. Pastor and bishops are the same thing. Pulled that one. And you care for the church of God, which he obtained with the blood of his own. And then he says, I know why, why is this important? Because I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after him. So what is he calling out? He calls out, uh, be aware of, of wolves without and false teachers within. And what do you do with the false teachers when you find them? You do the same thing that Paul did. You call them out by name. Mark them, call them to repent, and if they do not repent, you tell the people to avoid them. We don't want to do that. We want to call those people belligerent and and all kinds of names, like these people just want people who want to pick a fight. I don't want to pick a fight. I want to be faithful to my calling. Honestly, guys, I, I made a joke in the chat. I made a joke in the chat before we started that, uh, you know, uh, Patrick jokingly asked, is this the gathering for Texas libertarians? Uh, and I said, no, this is, uh, let me, I want to find my words. Uh, I said, no, this is the podcast where we go, where we week by week tank any chance of ever being invited to speak at T for G. <laughs> now I said as a joke, but I don't think you guys know how desperately seminary Josh wanted to be invited to speak at T for G. Mm. I don't think you realize how 
deeply I wanted that. How deeply I wanted my stupid little blog that I uh, created and deleted 600 times. How much I wanted that to be included on the Gospel Coalition website. When people see me go off, they assume this pugnaciousness that I just want to pick a fight with people bigger than me. And, and this is the problem when people see you at the end of a journey is that they make assumptions about why you're where you are. I don't think our audience knows how desperately I wanted to be part of this. I wanted to be on the stage for T for G. Even if it's on a side stage, that's fine. I wanted to be one of those men. I wanted to be on the Gospel Coalition website. I wanted to be part of this. I was so excited. See, I didn't come to Calvinism through or reformational whatever through the new Calvinist movement. I never have read a book by Mark Driscoll and I've watched part of a couple sermons just because people showed them to me. I didn't know John Piper until after I'd already affirmed the uh, doctrines of grace. The closest you can get uh, to my being influenced by a new Calvinist is I, uh, I got the reformation study Bible when I graduated from, uh, from high school. And so uh, RC Sproul became my instructor, even when I didn't want him to be uh, <laughs> because of that book. And, and, drug me kicking and screaming uh, to to affirming what is called the doctrines of grace. And from there, I dove into the the Reformation world. And then once I, I as I was diving through there and swimming through the sea, I look around and I see, wait, is there a movement? This is so exciting. And I wanted to be part of it. I, I was so I so wanted to be part of it. Like I did not want to pick a fight with my heroes. Tim Keller was a hero of mine. Uh, uh, Matt Chandler was a hero of mine. Uh, I loved, uh, oh my goodness, what is that one guy? He, he always sounds like he's on the verge of tears. He really cares about missions. Oh, I can't. David think. Platt? Or? David Platt, that's the one. Uh, David Platt. Oh man, I love David Platt. I loved all these big names who were part of this thing. And so when they started toying with woke ideology, or I've said this, the, per, the man who taught me about expositional preaching is the Bidi Anyabwile through the internet. But he taught me about expositional preaching. The words that I have imbibed and give me this heart for expositional preaching, that it is offering a feast. I learned those words from him. I did not want to pick a fight with them. I did not want to oppose them with the fervor that I have opposed them. But when they went astray, I cannot not call it out. I like, like it's like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to shut my mouth when I see these these men who are my heroes, who led me to the place where I started drinking deeply from the well of the Puritans and of the church fathers and of the medieval scholastics? Like they led me to this fountain. And then as I started drinking deeply, I came out and I started seeing them peddling Kool-Aid, <laughs> like, like thin gruel. 
And 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 do you think I wanted to like I for years I tried to do the yes and thing. Like I really did. I tried to do the yes I am a 1689 or yes I I believe these these older doctrines and I also really appreciate these new calvinist names. I really appreciate the Gospel Coalition. I really appreciate um these guys. I I I really appreciate them. I, I appreciate their heart. I appreciate their and, and uh, I just wish there were a little bit more. Like I tried, I tried to play the SN game for years. I did it as long as I could, until they started telling me that for being white I was a racist. And I was like, "How am I supposed to preach this to my midi, my Midwest, white, small church? Like, what, how am I supposed to preach this to them?" Uh, until they started preaching, and so they started saying, "You know what?" Uh, it's okay if we're we're a little bit squishy on abortion because there's other issues besides murdering babies. I can't be squishy on this. It's just like honestly, it's it, it feels like uh, the way some people describe um, uh, <laughs> some of those centrist Democrats who became Republicans. You know, who are like. I didn't leave the Democratic Party. They left me. I feel a little bit like that with the new Calvinism, except now I'm I'm going back and I'm saying, was there something missing from the beginning? And that's something, and I'm going to say, I had to do the repenting myself because there was that was something that was missing in me. There's a reason I was attracted to that. You know the thing that was missing from me? The humility to acknowledge that I'm an unimportant person from an unimportant place giving opinions that no one asked for. The humility of realizing I will never be on that stage. I'm not going to be world renowned. I am going to probably speak to a church of, if I'm really good, if I'm really lucky, 100, 150. That's my lot in life. And, and you know, I'm going to call that a big church <laughs> contrary to, to church marketing and, and even our own numbers. I'm going to call that a big church. If I get to hundred, 150, I'm going to say the Lord has blessed me with an abundant harvest <laughs> and I'm going to speak on a podcast to 50 people, you know, half, half of them are rewatching or half of them is me rewatching the episode. Like <laughs> that's, that's who I'm going to be speaking to. I'm not important. I have to have the humility to say that that it is okay to not be loved by the world. It is okay to draw lines in the sand where truth is at where truth is at stake and drive people away. It is okay to call out the wolves. And to shout them away. And it is good to call out the false teachers. Mark them and warn our flock to avoid them. And and that's if that makes me hated, if that makes me uninvited to these things, well, of course, you know, it'll make it so I was never invited in the first place. But I have to be okay with that. And I have to be okay with being an unimportant person from an unimportant place, giving the opinions that no one asked for. Because whether they asked for it or not, they need to hear it. Jeff, any last words? Yeah, well, 
I think I think the audience has gotten a window into how uh, um, we're sort of catechizing ourselves here, and you guys can watch too if you like. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, um, yeah. This was a long one. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> no, and, um, right, which is all prelude to. Uh, to the angel of the in Laodicea church, right. All right. Now let's, uh, no, just kidding. Uh, now that we've gotten through feedback. <laughs> oh, that would be very on brand for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe I won't cut it out. But. <laughs> Once again, we spent two hours answering an email from Patrick, but now for the uh, <laughs> meat of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. Anarchist Bible Study Conference. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, man, that would be. What if I they had hate... a conference and nobody came? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I would be embarrassed to be seen at that conference. <laughs> <laughs> named after my own podcast and I would be embarrassed to be seen there. <laughs> but the book table, which is nothing but the curse of the rat king would be incredible. That's right. <laughs> oh. oh, all right. Uh, and with that, we say the most important <laughs> thing that we say every week, which is go by the curse of the rat king by Paul Thompson. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like subscribe uh comment send us an email at anarchist bible study at gmail.com uh send uh wait but first of all if you are if you are a bot our email address is brian.mclaren at uh great uh t4g.com um, <laughs> Uh, that's right that's exactly what it is uh, if you are not a bot <laughs> it's anarchistbiblestudy at gmail.com that's right and uh and then uh don't send this not this episode but maybe the last episode <laughs> uh the last bonus episode send it to someone uh this is gonna be uh yeah anyway uh send it to someone who uh you're like you know what they could really I think they would really benefit from from hearing some of these questions. Maybe they, um, I don't know, just send it to someone uh, that you think would would benefit from hearing these things. Um, I'm gonna add a different, a new one, and this is only for this episode. Uh, go to alliance dot alliancenet dot org, and uh, the tab under the tab of uh, I believe they're called resources. Nope, not resources. Oh, no, it is just under the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals at the top. Under that pull-down menu, there's a Cambridge Declaration. Um, and uh, from there, I think you can also get to the... Uh, see, I don't know how you get to the Chicago... Oh, yep, the Chicago... Um, and then under resources, the uh, International Council on Biblical Inerrancy. You can find it there. Um for the same as umbilical inerrancy, spend some time with that. I think you will really benefit from it. Um, uh, and then join us next week when we take anarchy to church here on the anarchist Bible study. Grace and peace. Grace and peace.
I'm trying to technology even worse than you, and it's it's difficult. So I've, I'm having to yeah. I'm having to have lots of uh, lots of lags and problems to 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 have my end of to have my end of the uh, bad bad technology moments. Ah, I, I don't know, man. Just yeah. do what I do. Blame Randy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but but I, I kind of just Randy also known as Shaw Internet. <laughs> uh, so I 